Today's episode of the Ministry Minded Podcast is proud to be partnered with Anchor Podcasts. Anchor is the easiest way for anyone to make a podcast. If you have a latent idea that's just kind of lying around for a show you would like to record one day, I'm confident that anyone could use this platform to host, record, and distribute your podcast, turning your idea into a reality. Anchor puts everything you need to be successful all in one place. You can start a new recording right from your mobile device. They also have convenient creation tools that allow you to edit your audio files so they sound crisp and great. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, letting listeners find your show almost everywhere, including Spotify, Anchor Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and several others. And best of all, it's free. There are no hosting fees or monthly subscriptions or minimum listener counts, just an easy-to-use platform to get your podcast out there at no cost to you. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Hello and welcome to the Ministry Minded Podcast, a show that seeks to reveal God's matchless grace in our oftentimes messy ministries. I'm your host, Brad Gray, and this is episode number one. Today's guest is pastor and author and speaker, R.J. Grunewald. R.J. is the associate pastor of Faith Lutheran Church in Troy, Michigan, and in today's conversation, we dive into the theology of the distinction between law and gospel and its extreme significance for youth ministries. We also talk about reading and writing and the importance of a theology of work. This episode is sponsored by the Christian Standard Bible. The CSB is the optimal blend of accuracy and readability, providing pastors with a translation that they can trust and lay people with a Bible that they can read for themselves. Find out more at csbible.com. Now, for R.J. Greenwald, listen and enjoy. R.J., just first of all, a lot of our listeners probably don't uh, aren't familiar with you or your work. They might not be. So just introduce yourself and where you are and what you what you do. Yeah, absolutely. My name is R.J., like you said, um, and I am a pastor at Faith Lutheran in Troy, Michigan. Um, I've been actually at Faith. I, it's actually the church where I grew up at. My Both my wife and I have grown up here. Um, and so I got involved in ministry by, I just fell in love with student ministry. Um, it connect is what, that is what connected me to our, our congregation and then, um, got very involved doing that. And then recently I've gone through seminary, um, as a congregation, as I've been on staff doing youth ministry, they've, they've decided they wanted me to become a pastor here. So I serve as one of our pastors on staff, um, in an area, both my wife and I, we love the church. It's the church that we both grew up at, love this place. Um, and so just love being here. I've been married for, um, I got to get, get this right now. Cause it's, it's <laughs> around the air, um, got married in 07. So, um, eight years right now. Wow, so congratulations. Eight, eight, nine years in November. So awesome. um, we have two kids, a two year old and a four year old, um, who keep us constantly busy. Um, <laughs> but I, even even more than than loving my vocation as a pastor, I love being a dad and a, and a husband, and so it's just an awesome thing um, to be able to, to to do all of this, to be able to um, to be able to teach grace in the church, but even more so to be able to see um, light bulbs go off at, at, with my kids and stuff like that. It's just a cool thing, and so um, that's kind of in a nutshell. Um, yeah, awesome. Awesome. Now, this might be a, a weird question, but how would you sort of describe yourself? Like what makes 
what is RJ passionate about? Like what makes you tick? Oh man, what makes me tick? Um, I think something that's been important for me when it comes to, especially um, like writing, teaching, preaching, that kind of thing is um, I love theology. I love really, especially like when it comes to like the books by the dead guys, I'm all about it. Um, But what I also realize is that most people aren't there. And so I just want to be all about theology, but for everyday life. And so for the person who, who isn't going to read Luther, I want to say the same things that, that he has said. I want to say the same things that the apostles said. I want to say the same things that many of the great reformers said, but I want to say it in a way that normal people can understand. And so um, I, I, w- I want to preach the, these core truths of law and gospel, some of the things that we're going to talk about, um, but I want to teach it in a way that people can relate to and understand and connect with. And so that's what I try to do with all my, with all my, my writing, my preaching. Uh, all right. For the people who are, who are there listening, the, the normal people, so they have their stay at home moms, they work in the coffee shop, they, they work in a plant. Um, how does that meet them where they are? Instead of me just trying to um, impress people with my theological language or something like that, people don't care about that. And so um, I just want to preach and teach um, in language that, that normal people, in, in a sense, it's, it's, I'm translating it for people. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, so, and so that's why I'm passionate in my writing, my preaching, my teaching, even in conversations. Um, I think that kind of spills out uh, of that. And so I'll, I'll read books all, all night long of that. I would never dare recommend to people. Cause I know that it just <laughs> would, they wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, sure. I, I want to ask you a question about that, but I'm going to save that for later. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will ask you because you, you mentioned it and I, I was sort of following you as you were going through it, but I know you just recently got ordained at your uh, at Faith Lutheran. So yeah. you just describe that process and just like what you liked about it and just the whole thing of, of start to finish of the ordination process. Yeah. Um, well, the, the process that we are, we are in, um, I'm doing a distance um, education program through Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. And so um, the way that program designed is um, the congregation actually has to say they want you to be uh, a pastor at that congregation in order to get into the program. And so a couple of years ago, our congregation said, all right, we want you to be one of our pastors. And so we are going to get you trained through this distance education program. And so um, then started that program a couple of years ago. And then um, while doing classes online, while serving in ministry on the staff here at Faith, um, just spent a lot of studying, homework, all that kind of stuff. And then, and then ordination kind of is the official mark then. Um, all right, we have now officially called you. You've been certified, you've been trained. Um, and there's actually continued ed that's basically required in that process. And so um, that was kind of all a part of that. And so going through practical stuff, preaching stuff, um, some of the more systematic stuff and, and kind of understanding the narrative of scripture and Lutheran confessions, all those kind of things that mm-hmm. um, are necessary for Lutheran seminary. That's kind of all mixed in there. Um, and then now I'm, st- I'm still doing homework, so I'm not quite <laughs> done yet. Yeah. Um, and so for me, though, the ordination was was a cool moment of just yeah. um it's kind of a family thing growing up here of my family going here, my wife's family going here. And then the people who are gathered around is my church family. Like they Mm -hmm. have been around. Some of them um, taught me leading small groups as volunteer leaders in our our student ministry when I was growing up. And so um, it's it's just a cool thing to be a part of, of they're just 
super excited for me and, and the affirmation of them believing that God has called me to this place and, and that thing. And then also while doing that, um, the weight of, of being ordained, um, because I, I read through everything that we were going to talk about beforehand of specific vows and stuff like that. But then, um, hearing the, hearing the the pastor who who's doing the service read through some of those while I'm in, in front of everybody or kneeling in front of everybody. Um, there's just a, a burden feeling that when he's talking about um, rightly preaching the scriptures and how I live my life. And it's just like, Oh man, what, what am I signing up for? Like this is, it, there, there's a, there's a huge responsibility to that um, that I knew what I was getting into. Um, but in that moment, hearing that and, bowing to that in front of everybody it's like okay i'm in (laughs) this is real (laughs) um well that's awesome i know the sort of the the similar thing my my i I grew up at my dad's church in south carolina and that's like it's a literally an extension of your family and seeing all those people and growing up with them there's just a there's a really special thing about that and having a church family that's literally an extension of your family that's that's really special and I, you said you were a, a student minister there. What is it like? Um, I, I would say I also have a passion for youth ministry, especially preaching the gospel to yeah. youth today. And what what do you think, um, what is it like sort of um, preaching stuff like law and gospel theology and those sorts of distinctions to youth? And where do you think, this is probably a loaded question, but where do you think like we have like succeeded and failed on that level of preaching that accurately. I, I think I mean, one of the things that I've, I've learned doing student ministry is, is first that if, if you can preach to students, you can preach to anybody mm. um, because, because what I've learned, I mean, with, with our, if, if I'm preaching something and cause I want to rightly distinguish law and gospel with our middle school, it's the same I would, would with, with our adults. Um, but middle schoolers aren't going to lie to me and pretend they're interested. <laughs> and so it, you really have to figure out, all right, how, um, how can I as simply as possible communicate to th- this to them and help them understand um, and teach them to do this, teach them to distinguish law and gospel um, and, and promote that understanding. Um, when, when I do, when we do that for adults, adults actually understand um, how to pretend they're listening, even when they are zoning off and thinking about other things, making checklists or whatever. Um, so with student ministry, I, you, I've really had to figure out, all right, how am I going to teach this to them in a way that they're interested in? Mm-hmm. And if they're not interested, how, how do I help them kind of get there where they see the importance of that? Um, and, and so how has that, how, how, has, how have I seen that succeed or, or fail in the church? I think, um, it's kind of the same way that just not just student ministry, but all evangelical Christianity is, is that Christianity for most people has become about do more, try harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing is true with students as it is with adults. And so, um, I mean, primarily if, if, if I'm going out and I'm looking for student ministry resources, what am I going to find? Um, here's a dating series, which matters. We, we do dating series with our students. Um, but it's primarily about, here are all the things you need to do. Here are seven steps to this. And it's not driven by law and gospel. It's driven by all law. Um, and what we do, we do that is we strip away the power of how students actually even do any of that stuff. And so, and so almost every, every resource that I, that I pick up for students is it's driven kind of by that same filter of, of it's the law. It's, it's do this, um, 
A, B, C, whether it's, whether it's growing your faith, friendships, um, evangelism, any of those things are all taken from a law perspective. And so, um, in student ministry generally, like we miss that. Um, and that's a, and that's just a symptom of the greater problem of the Christian churches. People, people want the law because that's kind of what's within us. Um, and, and that's what we're giving people, but it's not what people need. Exactly. That's so right. Like, cause I was about to say, like, that's the thing that youth ministry has sort of become is just parents drop off their kids. Hey, make them better, fix them and just oh, right. fix the problems. <laughs> and it, it's, I, I wrote a, a piece about this. It's just, it's just almost like a, a, a youth play group, just go and play and learn and be better. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not really what youth ministry is, it should be for. <laughs> right. And so I'm just, that's why I love, uh, love stuff like this and just engaging youth with the yeah. true gospel. I think that's so important. Well, the church, um, the church so often comes up now, it, the idea of, all right, you see all these millennials flocking out of the church. And, um, hmm. and, and, and part of me is like, well, if all that they have been getting is do this and they, they are burdened down and feel like they can't do it. Well, no wonder they're leaving the church. I mean, what, what are they actually getting there? Um, and so, so I don't, and obviously that's not everybody who leaves the church, but, but I mean, I got to guess that a lot of people left the church because they've gone to church and never got Jesus at church. Yep. Yep. And they've just gotten a list of stuff. And, and when you know, you can't do it, it I mean, you might as well just give up. <laughs> right. Cause if they, if they want to get, um, steps to do something, if they want self-help, they're going to get that. They can get that anywhere else. And the rest mm-hmm. of the world can probably do that better than the church can. <laughs> the thing that the church has to offer that the rest of the world can't is grace alone. Um, That's right. Everybody else can offer the law. Now they're, they're going to do it in different ways and it might not be quite the same standards as what the scriptures might teach when it comes to the law. Um, but when it comes to what, what you should do and the burdens of it, people, people come into our churches experiencing that already. That's exactly right. Now um, just sort of switching gears here a little bit. Um, you, you do a lot of your writing for your own website, rjgroon.com. You can sort of promote that. Uh, how long have you been blogging there? I haven't been following you that long, but I know I, I just love love your writing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've been writing probably on the blog for four or five years. Um, and I've done blogging a number of times before. And so, but but consistently on this, on, on rjgroon.com, um, been, been about four or five years. And so um, when I started doing that, it was primarily all just focused on youth ministry. And so it's great stuff for other youth leaders, stuff um, that I was teaching our students. And it's kind of shifted in the past couple of years of more, more specifically just theology for the, for, for the everyday person. And so um, more often now it's, it's less about, all right, here's something for other leaders, but just um, for, for the Christian, it's kind of unpacking a law gospel theology or the doctrine of vocation or some of those ideas um, Mm -hmm. on there. And so it's a lot of it is just kind of been, I've always been passionate about writing, um, Mm -hmm. but I I also need a place to kind of figure out how to do that. And so um, (laughs) what I did know about writing is you got to write to become a better writer. And so just, just keep doing it and figure it out. And the more I do it, the more I figure out and the more I kind of learn what, what is my voice and I'll copy some people from something and kind of, adopt that and learn um, who I am more and more and then get feedback from other writer friends and editors and just, it just kind of help mold me and help me figure that out. 
And then the cool thing is along the way is starting to see people resonate with that of Mm -hmm. finding people who have come back to the site or are subscribing and reading emails and responding to me or um, even hearing from people like people around the world saying, all right, I can't find a church like this, but thank you for your message and what you're saying. And and Mm -hmm. that's really like incredible when it, when it starts to resonate with people and to know that people are reading your stuff and being set free by the gospel. Um, Mm -hmm. And and cause that's, cause that's what, what, what it's about for me is I, as I love doing this. um, And so it's just another medium to share that message for me. It is a sobering thought when you put a lot of stuff out there and then you don't really know who it touches or who it encourages. And then you get that random note from this random person that just says, I really enjoyed this. Thank you. And you never know who's going to read something that you put online. I think that's what just makes doing ministry and sharing stuff like this in this, you know, quote unquote, social generation. So unique. I think. And I, I, on that though, you know, I'm, I'm also an aspiring writer and avid blogger. And I would say, what do you think, what, what do you think makes writing and sharing and, and all this sort of stuff, tweeting the gospel, you know, in the social media age, why do you think it make, why do you think that's so pivotal that we do that on that medium? Well, I think, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to just the, the kind of the same ideas that happened in the Reformation, that the Reformation, now these weren't new ideas that Luther had. He kind of was at the right place, the right time, that there were other people kind of pushing these things. Um, but Luther, because of things like the printing press, um, in a sense, his his ideas, which weren't hit really his ideas, they were the scripture's ideas, but it, it kind of went viral because of that. And so... With, with social media and blogging, the ability that, that they're, they're no longer our gatekeepers when it comes to who can publish. And so because of that, it is, in a sense, a, a new printing press kind of opportunity. And so because of that, that we have an incredible tool when it comes to writing, when it comes to websites, um, even self-publishing, all of those things really make it incredibly accessible for writers to be able to get the message of the gospel out there. Um, and so, so, so it's absolutely something that, that needs to be capitalized. And, and it's something that Christians have done. Um, Christians have always been about using technological tools to, to promote the gospel. And so um, early in the radio that the Christians were, were a part of all right, getting sermons on the radio and some of the, some of those things. And the same thing now with podcasting, it's just there are evolutions of that. And so mm-hmm. as Christians, I mean, how can we use that? Now, the danger in that is, because of how easy it is to publish, it's also really easy to put out a lot of bad stuff. Um, And so that's where what I'm learning as a writer is just trying to learn how to actually be a good writer and not, Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I know like I've written stuff and I've I've read it later and be like, Oh man, that's just um, not good writing. And so now it's, now it's just trying to learn because of how easy it is to publish. um, Like sometimes everybody just publishes stuff and um, it becomes really hard to filter through and find the good stuff, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which I think it's good that everybody's writing stuff. And so, but now the discipline then for, for, for us as writers is we don't want to take advantage of that and now put out subpar stuff. Um, exactly. And so we got to write, 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 but also you got to work through and learn how to write and what are the, what are rules to, to writing and, and what is grammar and, and all the stuff that I don't like to do. Um, <laughs> is stuff now that I'm trying to, to, to learn that I've had it 
editor friend now come alongside of me and says, say, I mean, man, you got really good ideas, but you, you don't know the rules of writing. And so, so <laughs> this is just, it's just, I mean, and it's, it's hard. It, it takes work to figure out, but it's necessary sure. because if, if we can go from now amateur writing to, to actually really solid theology, that's also well-written um, then it's going to make it a lot easier than for people to read that too, to, to understand it because of clarity, but also to be interested because if we, if we don't write something interesting, people are also just going to, because, because of how much is being written, if you don't get somebody in the first paragraph, they're going to skim through your blog and not care. And, mm-hmm. and so you just learning to be a good, good writing um, <laughs> that matters. Yeah. And you, you actually mentioned this and I've heard this many times before that the best way to become a good writer is just to just write, just write a lot of stuff and maybe not even publish it, but just write it. And I would say besides that point, what are some of the things that you've learned that is, that have really helped you um, become a better writer? Cause I know we have a lot of, the, a lot of guys that are probably listening right now are budding or aspiring writers. And what are some things that you've learned? One I've learned just reading a lot is necessary for a good writer <laughs> because um none of the ideas that we're sharing are original ideas. I mean, this is nothing new. Um, and, and especially when it comes to the gospel, my, my goal is not to say um, lots of different things. It's saying this one thing over and over again, just a thousand different ways. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm tr- I'm always trying to read and read and read and just see what other people are saying and writing. And um, sometimes those things inspire ideas to write. Some things they don't, but they're just helping me um, and what I know and understand. And so the reading a lot, I think is one thing that's, that's been really important for me. I've also now been learning just the value of editing, uh, mm-hmm. all right, right. But then you also have to rewrite. Um, and what I've started to do, which I, which I absolutely hate doing. Um, but, but my editor friend told me, um, you need to read your stuff out loud, um, which <laughs> is absolutely painful and embarrassing if I'm doing this in my house and, and, my family's doing something else. Um, but when you read something out loud, it makes you pause and you're like, all right, that doesn't make sense. Or I wouldn't say something that way. Um, and you you catch things that you wouldn't, if you didn't. And so, um, writing often, I, I kind of learned that and figured that, that out a while ago, but right now I'm learning edit, 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 and then read it out loud. And that's (laughs) a painful process. I don't like doing that. Um, but now when I come back to the things that I've written after I've done that, it's man, it's way better. Mm. Um, and so that, but, but that's, it takes work. <laughs> I'm sure it does. And yeah, it's, I've done the same thing reading through old stuff. And I'm like, Oh wow. Did I really say that? Or yeah, did yeah. I really write that? <laughs> um. And now a quick break for a word from my partners in ministry, dead men. Hey everyone, have you checked out Deadmen at www.deadmenstuff.com yet? If not, what are you waiting for? Deadmen exists to equip disciples and grow leaders. We do this through Christ-centered articles, devotions, videos, a podcast, and free resources like books. Deadmen presents the gospel in a straightforward and intentional way. Check us out today at www.deadmenstuff.com. Now, back to RJ. You just touched on this too, um you know, it's, it's very true. What makes a good writer is a good reader. And, you know, I'm sure you're reading a ton of books as you know, <laughs> I am, and I'm sure a lot of people are, but what are some of the ones that have influenced you the most? 
Oh man, there there are so many good books. One one of the books recently that I that I I love, um, a Mockingbird just put out their Law and Gospel book, a theology mm-hmm. for sinners and saints. Those I know Dave Zoll was one of the guys. I don't know all the authors that they had. There's a number of them. Um, outstanding law and gospel theology book. And so that's been um, one of one of um, um, Grace and Practice by Paul Zoll. Um, is, is one of my, one of my favorites that I, that I love when it comes to just this, this idea of the one way love, um, of Jesus. Um, also some of the Lutheran theology, Gene Veith does a, does a really good job with some of his work. Um, he wrote spirituality of the cross, which is kind of a, kind of a summary of some of the Lutheran doctrine, um, and his book on vocation, God at work is by far, um, my favorite when it comes to the idea of God's calling. Um, um, I could, I could keep going, going on and on. There, there are a lot of books though. Um, it, it, I mean, it depends just on, on subject or, or whatever. I mean, so it's, it's all kinds of stuff though. Sure. That's awesome though. I'm, I'm dabbling into a lot of those law and gospel theology books and it's just been, it's just been a great read. It's a, they're, they're sometimes difficult reads. If you read some of oh, those, yeah. As we call them the old dead wise guys. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. John, John Pless is another one that does a good law mm-hmm. gospel book, handling the word of truth. is a, is an excellent one. Of course, Luther's commentary on Galatians is is kind of standard when it comes to Luther unpacking that theology of law and gospel. Sure. Um, so there's a bunch of them. Um, one that I recently, well, not too recently, read, but that's been really helpful when it comes to it is more of a gospel book, just words by Jacob price. Um, basically what he does in that book is he, each section of the book, he takes different metaphors of the gospel and just unpacks them. So he'll, he'll use the adoption metaphor of the gospel and explain, um, how that kind of gives us one insight and angle on the gospel or, um, the legal metaphor or the, um, just, just a variety of the different metaphors in the gospel. And, and, and that's been helpful as a preacher, just to think about, all right, so if I'm preaching the gospel every week, um, what, what metaphors that am I noticing that the scripture uses? Um, because if you really press into a certain metaphor that can drive it home in a different way, um, sometimes because people ha- have gotten so used to a metaphor that they don't even realize what it's, what it's saying anymore. And other times because it's a metaphor that people haven't heard um, mm-hmm. or not familiar with. And so that book's been really helpful just to kind of re kind of just remind me of those different metaphors of, or the sacrificial system or um, the debt metaphor and just how all that kind of flows through the scriptures. Sure. That's awesome. I'll have to check that one out. I haven't heard of that one. <clears throat> um. I'd also say um, you've you've edited and you've written a few books, um, and we've sort of touched on them. But the one that I've read all the way through is your Galatians selections from Martin Luther. And as you were going through that process of deciding to, you know, as you we we were talking about earlier of making Luther and Luther and Luther's writings, you know, accessible to the everyday man, so to speak. How did you? sort of decide what to keep and what to exclude when going through that massive book. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the main thing is, all right, just, I was just reading through it and I, what, what is going to most clearly 
um, be at the heart of Luther's message. And so I had to get rid of plenty of really good stuff. And so, but reading through, if there was something that was more directed towards pastors, it's like, well, that's not who the book is for. Um, mm-hmm. when, he, when he gets into Luther can get a little um, fiery when it comes to anti-Pope rhetoric. And um, so some of that, like I, I, I took out some of that stuff of just, all right, let's get rid of the stuff that if, if people don't understand the context, the history, um, or, or if something just gets too wordy, um, then to just try to trim that down as, as much as possible. And so it was just really just looking for, all right, what, what was hitting me when I was reading it, when it cut, came to certain law gospel ideas that, that Luther was carrying through Galatians, um, what were some of those? And so I know, I'm, I know, because I'll go back and even look at the full commentary on Galatians, and there's stuff that's not in there um, that, that is brilliant, but it, it, I mean, no one's going to pick up the whole thing. And so, mm-hmm. um, so just finding those, those, those nuggets and, and kind of so, some of those were just finding a single phrase that stuck out for me. Um, and then, all right, what's around that surrounding that, that also kind of helps us understand that phrase. Um, and other things were just, there was complete paragraphs or a series of paragraphs that were loaded with gold. And it's like, all right, let's put that in there. Um, and help lead people through that. But then also certain chapters just trying to figure out, right, I need to cut something out because this is um, not flowing. Or there, there'd be chapters where he would have a main idea and then he'd write a lot about something else. Um, and so you have to pull things out sometimes that just, it was off the main idea. And so just, all right, well, that's a different point and a good point, but not the main point. Sure, um, definitely. So that, was, that was a lot of it. I'm working on a similar thing with Romans. Um mm-hmm. And so just the same kind of idea of, all right, there's a lot of good stuff that has to come out. Um, and that one's going to look a little bit different because um, Roman Galatians is actually, was actually still somewhat nice is in a book and a sequential sequence and really relatively easy to work with Romans. Is, it was a disaster. And, <laughs> and so um, that one, I really had to rip apart and move pieces around order thing, things by theme, kind of put some of my own thoughts and ideas in there to, to kind of keep it flowing, but same same idea with that one. If Romans is I mean Romans is a heavy theological book centrally around just the justification by by grace alone. Um, all right, how how can we carry that through? Something's going to have to go. Um, mm-hmm. How do we keep pushing that idea forward? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, just on that topic, really quick, just be, we've sort of touched on it, but for someone who maybe is not quite familiar or whatever, um, how, you know, in a nutshell, if you can, how do you make something as sort of heady and scholastic as law and gospel distinction, you know, accessible? How Because I think a lot of people might be sort of, you know, taken, they, they don't want to engage in that because it just seems like something that they can't understand. But how do you make it understandable? I, I guess I would say. Yeah. I mean, with, with Galatians, some of that, I'd still say the, the Galatians work is still a little bit heady. Um, mm-hmm. but, but what I did with that was try to remove some of the barriers um, simply with design and even um, calling out certain key phrases, making it much easier to skim through things. Um, and immediately, immediately find ideas that a person would resonate with. And so some of that comes with that. Um, but just general preaching the law gospel thing is just um, 
you, you got to be able to speak the language of the people that, that you're serving. And I mean, that would be true of any missionary. Um, when you go to a place, you got to learn the culture, you got to learn the language. And if you can't speak their language, um, the message of the gospel, no matter how well you know it, is not going to get through to them. Um, you need to be able to speak their language and understand um, what they're listening to and understand their cultural practices. And the same thing is true when it comes to law and gospel. Um, as much as we need to be able to exegete the scriptures, we also need to be able to exegete the people that we're trying to reach. And so by doing that, you can then take this idea of law and gospel, um, which applies across the board to everybody, um, but the more you understand somebody and their struggles and their world, the better than that you can then bring that into where they are. Not tra- changing what you're communicating. The idea stays the same. Um, but you can't just automatically throw out a word like justification and assume that people know what you're talking about. Because that's just <laughs> not, people don't. And so you just, you got to figure out, all right, how can I explain this um, in a way that people understand? It, it, for like something like um, forgiveness. Um, all right, there's some idea of understanding that, but by unpacking an idea like that in, in a way that people understand, um, forgiveness classically, like in the scriptures, is a debt metaphor. And so if you really then begin to unpack that, all right, forgiveness and canceling a debt and what that means um, to, to say, all right, there's no longer a debt. And then because our debt's paid in full, we now can cancel each other's debts. Um, by really drilling into that metaphor and helping somebody understand it, um, that they can that then you use debt to understand forgiveness, um, which it, which then is unpacking justification. But you're not necessarily using all the language that makes us feel more important, but doesn't actually always help somebody. Um, exactly. Now I still believe that certain words people should learn. Um, but sometimes we just assume that people know them or are going to pick up on them just because we say them a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so anytime, if I use the word justification, if I use the word righteousness, I'm usually also within that context trying to use synonyms that are saying, all right, if I say righteousness, I'm also going to say right standing with God, just so people kind of can pick up what I'm trying to communicate. Um, because there's sure. there's so many of those words that we just don't. Yeah, definitely. And I'm sure that's, I mean, I learned that when I was speaking to youth every week is just, you just can't throw out all these words and expect right. them to know what they mean. Oh, yeah. no, that's a learning process. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, on the, on, I was just, you know, I, I must confess, I haven't read these other two books that you wrote either, but also one called The Little Church, Discipling Your Family, and also Addiction, Leaving uh, the Vomit Behind. I haven't, I must confess, I haven't read those, but I was just you know, I'm wondering, you know, uh, just if someone's not familiar with those either, just can you just give a short summary on those? Because those look sound really, yeah. really fascinating to me. <laughs> yeah, Little Church um, came from this, this phrase, every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church. And so mm-hmm. the, the idea with that is, is um, as parents, how are we leading our families as the, as the pastors in our home. And so the idea in Deuteronomy six is talk, um, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Um, and then these, these commands impress them on your children. So the idea then is, all right, how do we do that for our children? Um, and, and in the context of that is because is as we, we do that, um, what, what we want for our children to secure is, is the very thing 
um, that we need to believe for ourselves that our identity is actually rooted not in how well we can get our kids to believe all the right things, do the right things, but our identity comes from Christ alone. And so exactly. it's, it's that identity, um, because, because the idea, if we talk a lot about parenting long enough um, about what we should be doing as parents, any parent's going to feel like that they're not doing it. And so kind of the idea then that it presses towards, because it's going to be very practical, but it presses towards then the idea of, are the thing that, that you need to rest in is your identity comes from Christ, um, not in 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 your parenting um and not in how your kids end up behaving it's in, in the work of christ um and that's the very thing that you want we want to impress on our children so that's the idea with little church um and then and then the addiction book it comes from the proverb as a fool returns to his vomit so a fool as a dog returns to his vomit so a fool returns to his folly mm-hmm. and so just this idea that there's some things that need to be left behind and so just re- just trying to raise the question all right what what's the vomit what do you need to leave behind um and really try to do that in a way that um we we don't just need a program um and the programs are necessary. The behavioral modification when it comes to addiction is absolutely essential. But how do we deal with the heart issues? Because addiction is um, a self-chosen slavery. And so there's a slavery. So there's certain things we can cast the blame on the addiction, on the disease. But it's also at the same time self-chosen that we bear a responsibility. And so it kind of wrestles with that. Um, with, with the hope of um, it primarily is pushing towards the rest in Christ, that God is the one who rescues in that us from those sins. Um, and it will give some practical tools, but the ultimate goal is uh, I'm not a counselor. I'm not going to give people kind of, all right, here's what they need to do. And so it's kind of to give the hope of the gospel. And then we'll, we'll kind of add at the end kind of an appendix that said, all right, he'll point you to talk to your pastor, talk, talk to counselors um, when mm-hmm. it comes to actually dealing with, um, the, the things that are just deal with the addictions itself because it will wreak havoc on relationships and families and, and that kind Definitely. of thing. Now, we, just recently, a couple months ago, uh, you gave a breakout talk at the first Christhold Fast Conference this past February, which I was fortunate enough to attend. But the title of your uh, talk was God Makes Pizza, Finding Freedom in Your Daily Work. And I was just thoroughly blessed and encouraged by this topic, but for those who, you know, perhaps weren't there or weren't able to listen, can you just sort of like give another quick summary of that talk and that subject of God at, at your work, God makes pizza? Yeah. Yeah. The idea with, with God makes pizza is just the idea that, um, um, in, in the Lord's prayer, you can pray, give, give us this day, our daily bread. The, the way that God does that is he provides bread through people fulfilling their callings. And so um, through the bread maker, through the grocer, through the through the, the, the staff who's stocking the groceries. And so um, the idea with God makes pizza came from just my, my family and I had dinner one night. And so the question when, when we ordered that pizza is, was God providing us pizza or was I providing the pizza or was the, the employees at the, the pizza store um, providing the pizza? And the, and the reality of, of understanding God's calling, um, Luther called it the mask of God, is that God is actually hidden in people as they fulfill their calling serving us. And so um was God providing the pizza? Yes. And the way he chose to do that for my family was through me spending money on the pizza, through website designers who designed a website so I could 
so that I could place an order um, through Apple because I use their their technology to place the phone call through the employee who took my order, through the employees who made the pizza, um, through car manufacturers when I drove to pick up the pizza, just through tons and tons and tons of people all fulfilling their vocations. God was serving my family by giving us pizza. And so there's a sacredness to all of our work. Um, mm. And there's a freedom that comes into it because what most of us experience is not a sacredness to our work, but just the, the burdens, the responsibilities, the weight of our work. Um, and, and there's something about seeing that our God is active in us um, mm-hmm. as we serve other people in those, in those callings. And so that, that's kind of one of the main ideas. And there's several ideas of just unpacking that. But, but I really... I believe that the vocation, God's calling, is one of the one of the the, the teachings that's central to the Reformation that I feel like has kind of got cat, cast aside. Um, that 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 is incredibly practical for the for the person as they go about their their daily lives. That vocation intersects with every area of our life, um, and, and I, I really have a heart for recovering that that in the church and just kind of bringing that into the discussion. Um, because it's freeing when we, when we, when we don't, don't feel like we need to be a missionary or a priest, but we can serve God wherever we are. Um, or even the burden when it comes to feeling like we need to have the dream job or we need to, um, do something else someday or be the fortune 500 entrepreneur. Um, we can, we can find a contentment in all right, what I'm doing right now, for my family as, as a dad, as a husband, what I, what I might, what I'm doing right now, um, as I go to the plant and work nine to five and may not like the job, um, but I'm doing something sacred in it because I'm serving, um, maybe people in my community, my family, my coworkers in that. Yeah. And that's so true. And it reminds me of sort of what, um, A.W. Tozer talks about in his pursuit of God, sort of this idea of falling into a sacred or secular trap where we sort of put these two things in two separate categories and making, and we feel like if we're not in the sacred category, that, that, that they're somehow better than us or whatever. And I think that this idea, you know, you talk about in your talk that, you know, a Christian shoemaker doesn't put crosses on his shoes. He just makes really good shoes. And I think, you know, for me personally, as you know, um, as a guy who who prays and and believes that he will be in what's called vocational ministry uh, one day, you know, sometimes it can be discouraging or de- depressing. You know, if you just focus on this idea that I'm not in ministry yet, but I think what was really important from your talk is just ministry is all around you. It's it's right where you are. This is where you're supposed to be, and that was. When, as you said, when you realize that, that's very, that's very freeing, and it just frees you up to do a lot of other things. <laughs> right, absolutely. Because, and and that's the thing. I mean, the thing that we've kind of fallen into is, is it happened in Luther's day, just this elevation of the the office of the priest, and mm-hmm. that that's the sacred thing. But even in our modern Christian world, we still do the same thing. Even and it may not be the priesthood per se. Um, but even when we do like professional ministry, you elevate these worship leaders or these preachers or the, these celebrities or any of these, the, these guys to a certain status or church needs to be done a certain professional kind of way. And you still end up elevating certain, a certain vocation. Um, even, even the idea of calling something voca- a vo- 
vocational ministry, or um, we, we'll use the word like bivocational, meaning um, you, you have two, but, but just even that language is like, it, it misses something. Yep. Yep. And I, I think it, for me, I, I came to that sort of realization, you know, after you were talking, but also just over the natural thing, just, you know, God is telling me that right where you are, even though you're in this day job, so to speak, and you're not, you know, doing professional ministry, as you just said, this is, this is where you're supposed to be. And this is show Christ to these people. And I think that's, that was it just really, it just really hit home with me. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and that can be very freeing. And it also can be really difficult because it can be freeing because you see kind of the, the gift of it, the gift of where you are, but it, but in those moments where you don't like where you are, that's also, there's also the law at the same time. So there's a tension to that, um, where it, beca- where it becomes really, really difficult when, when you tell somebody, all right, love, um, love your neighbor. Um, all right. That's, that's a, a pretty ordinary calling, but if you don't like your neighbor, it becomes a really difficult calling too. And so that's the kind of the tension with vocation of, all right, it's where you are right now. And God ha- wants you to serve right there, right now. Um, but it may be difficult right now too. That doesn't make it not sacred, but there is the reality mm-hmm. of that. And, and that's kind of the thing. And to be able to um, see the sacredness and the opportunity to serve and the opportunity to share the gospel where you are and to serve others, even when you don't share the gospel where you are to see that as something sacred um, while it's also being okay that, all right, this, where, where you are right now may not be where you want to be long-term. And that that's okay too. Like a, your vocation doesn't necessarily need to need to be where God has called you permanently either. Um, mm-hmm. So in certain ones, I mean, um, vocation to, to your wife, that, that as long as you live, that, that is the way God ordained that vocation. But I mean, if you work in the factory, um, God might have that for a season and then you might have something else for a season. And that's, that's okay. Um, <laughs> or, or I feel like, the way we often treat ministry is, is so many people rely on this inner feeling and this fuzzy sense when um, sometimes it's just a, a little bit more simple of, all right, this is where God has called me. And I know because that's where I am and that's what I'm doing. Um, these are the talents. These are the gifts that I have. Um, this is who is giving me a paycheck. And so I'm going to serve them in this way. Um, and it's not that those inner senses don't matter. Um, that, that does matter. I, I, I feel like, I feel like I've been called. Um, and, I, but I know that I am called to be a pastor because my, because my church has called me to be one. Um, <laughs> and so, and so, um, so, sometimes it, it's just, it's a lot more simple than we mm-hmm. think. And going back to what you said, you know, working and being in in your vocation or whatever, and you realize that you're supposed to love your neighbor. And then you realize that you're around maybe people that are probably difficult for you to love. <laughs> that shows exactly, you know, that, that we are still need to give those people the gospel, the same gospel, even though they may be difficult or they may rub us the wrong way or whatever. And I think that's where it's really sobering. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's where, and, and cause one of the things too, when we think about vocation is there's there's vocation on one uh, on one hand vocation is um, there's the vocation that we all have as which we're all in a sense missionaries so that is the vocation of sharing the gospel the the great commission kind of calling that we have um, and on the other hand that it's it's the vocation of just serving other people which can be with the gospel but isn't only with the gospel and so um, 
So one way of loving our neighbor might be um, I just shovel their driveway because they couldn't do it themselves. And that, and, and so that, that can be fulfilling our, our Christian vocation. And even when it's not exclusively a gospel proclamation kind of vocation. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of where Luther with his whole idea with the, with the Christian shoemaker it's um, in that vocation. Sure. He might have an opportunity to share, to proclaim the gospel, to share the gospel with, with coworkers, with, with anybody, um, but, it, but also when he's serving, he may not even look that much different than the non-Christian because, because they both just want to make good shoes and that's okay because the, the Christian shoemaker is just making a good shoe for the sake of serving somebody. And the only difference is he does that by faith and because of, it's by faith, um, that's, that's actually considered a good work, um, because, because Christ has made it a good work. Yeah. And I'll just share this quick story just because it reminded me of it. Um, and I don't share this to loft myself up, but one of the nicest compliments I ever got was when I was, I was working at Panera and I was around these people all the time. And some, one of my coworkers just came up to me one day and said, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I was like, yes, I am. And I was like, how did you know? And she's like, there's just something different about you. And I think that meant the world to me just because it wasn't me just, you know, street preaching it was just me living and doing the best job i could and people see that they realize that they know that there's something there's something a little bit different there right you know and just sort of as we as we close here if you can um if you had to say like one thing to any budding youth minister or guy who is seeking and desiring to go into the ministry what would that one thing be if you have one thing (laughs) Um, I heard one, I heard somebody say this and I said, if you, if you can not do it, then, then don't. <laughs> and so, so, and so in other words, it, it is a calling. And so, um, if you feel that, um, really, really wrestle with it is, is this what, where, where God is calling you? Um, and then that also be not just an internal thing, but from the counsel of other people, do they see that gifting in you, um, doing that and that education, all those things. Um, but, but, but for me, it's, it's like, I have to do this. Like, this is like, like it's, it's in me. Like I, I have to. Um, mm-hmm. and so, and so do that. I mean, there, there are a lot better paying jobs you, you could do. And so if it's not something you have to do, um, don't, <laughs> well, that's that's very good advice. I like the way you put that. <laughs> well, um, before we go off live here, I just want to say thanks, RJ. Appreciate you coming in here and talking with me and just chatting about this stuff. It's been very encouraging. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to RJ for coming on the show and chatting with me a little bit. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and read his blogs on rjgrooney.com, all of which you can find in the show notes. And that's it for today's episode of Ministry Minded. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you just heard and would like to hear more, be sure and follow the show on Twitter and subscribe in iTunes. And if you really like what you heard, do me a favor and leave a short review. That'll go a long way for me to continue making shows like this happen. Thanks again to the folks at CSB for sponsoring the show. And thank you, as always, for listening, commenting, and subscribing. I'll see you on the next episode. Blessings. Thank you.